the pricing system is too complex. I think that is really the most difficult part in the area of retail LNG. Therefore, I think we need a unified system around the world, which is easily understood. And I would strongly suggest that this system is physically settled because then it kind of somehow reduces the volatility and make it more user-friendly. Welcome to Smarter Markets, a weekly podcast featuring the icons and entrepreneurs of technology, commodities and finance, ranting on the inadequacies of our systems and riffing on ideas for how to solve them. Together, we examine the questions, are we facing a crisis of information or a crisis of trust? And will building smarter markets be the antidote? This episode is brought to you in part by Abax Exchange, bringing you better benchmarks, better technology, and better tools for risk management. Welcome back to Commodities in Asia on Smarter Markets. I'm Dave Greeley, Chief Economist at Abex Technologies. Our guest today is Hei Yi Yang, founder and CEO of LNG Easy. We'll be discussing the growing retail LNG markets of Asia and how they differ from the natural gas markets of the US and Europe. Hello, Yi Yang. Welcome to Smarter Markets. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. I'm really glad you could be with us here today. And part of that is because one of the themes that keeps coming up on this podcast series is that simply assuming that the commodity markets in Asia work the same way that they do in the US and Europe is often very misguided. And you founded your company, LNG Easy, to service an LNG market that's very different from a typical Western natural gas market. And I wanted to start off today asking you, what do you see as the most important differences between the Asian LNG market that you're servicing and the natural gas markets that many of us may be more familiar with? Right. So to, I think to start with natural gas market in US and Europe, I would characterize them as uh, regulated utilities in the beginning, you know, with uh, price control and all that. And obviously, um, it, it, will, it became uh, fully liberalized later, but it is still a, a pipeline uh, network market with very little uh, liquid you know, in the system, liquid meaning LNG in uh, uh, liquid form. So that's kind of the main um, difference. And then we had the second wave, which is uh, the, the Japan, Korea, Taiwan, you know, Japan in the early um, uh, 70s, they did uh, deals with Indonesia to buy LNG on a long-term basis, mainly for power generation. So the logic is still that, you know, LNG would be regasified upon arrival in Japan, and then they would distribute it a wide pipeline network to either, you know, refinery uh, or power plant. I think, you know, uh, Japan, Korea, Taiwan, Singapore has this model, basically. You know, and then China came along. And I think, you know, the Chinese created a very different model in the sense that, you know, the importers, uh, the market makers like PetroChina, CNOC and all that, they sign up long-term take-or-pay contracts like the traditional LNG model, bond-to-bond. But they found out that actually the power plants in China do not accept that pass-through risk. So the power plant uh, in China are still saying that, okay, I can have gas, I can have coal. It's uh, price-driven. So basically, uh, you know, the uh, line of sight that you have in a traditional LNG market does not really exist in China. 
And therefore, the, the market makers like uh, PetroChina and Sinop started to think, maybe we should generate an alternative market. And then they created the retail market. Because uh, if you look at the, the, the beginning of uh, retail LNG, the Sinops, the, the PetroChina, they really play a big role. You know, they start to have LNG fuel buses, LNG fuel trucks. They start to invest in uh, LNG refueling stations to provide fuel to the, the uh, vehicles. Uh, so that's uh, one thing. And the other thing is that China is very big, landmass of uh, the whole of Europe. And uh, in the beginning, pipeline network is not well spread out. So there's a lot of corners where, you know, you need to reach by LNG. So therefore, you know, they start to, you know, develop the trucking LNG market where, you know, it can reach, you know, customers all around the country. And then they have, they start to invest in regas and all that. So uh, this is kind of a, a, a kind of little uh, well-kept secret in the LNG business. And people are selling, you know, a lot of LNG to China, but they don't really know what China is using the LNG for. And going forward, I think, you know, if we are talking about the population jungle nut in, the, uh, in Asia, Pakistan with 250 million people, Bangladesh with 170 million people, Vietnam with 100 million, you know, uh, uh, Philippines 100 million, Indonesia 260. You know, the question is whether pipeline gas or truck LNG will become a natural, you know, uh, a way of things. And I, I picked a truck LNG anytime. So, you know, is that uh, okay for a summary for you? Oh, absolutely. And I'm really fascinated with the idea of the, the trucked LNG market. You know, when it ultimately gets to the consumers, what is this LNG being used for? Yeah, you know, very good uh, question, right? So traditionally, you know, under the regulated utility model, LNG is used as a primary energy. You know, so you give it to a power plant to make electricity, which uh, reach the customer. And then you give it to a refinery or, you know, fertilizer plant, which makes other end product, you know, which would be bought by the farmers, for example. But, you know, that is not really the uh, retail LNG model because, you know, LNG is, you know, don't forget LNG is very different from a pricing point of view because natural gas all across the globe had a price, price range of, let's say, zero to three dollars. Zero meaning there's no the outlet, you know, no pipeline. So people are flaring it. So maybe even negative value. But then, you know, when there is a pipeline, it can kind of be, uh, get the, uh, distributed. But, you know, it's still very much de determined by local governments, such as Pakistan, Bangladesh, India, uh, Indonesia. They decide what the gas will be, the cost will be. And then um, uh, in the United States and in, in Europe, it's decided by regional gas hubs, such as, you know, Henry Hub and TTF. But LNG is totally different, right, pricing-wise, because it's, you know, international market, there's arbitrage. Whenever there's a window opening, you know, you can ship it crisscross the world on a ship. So different pricing, different supply chain, and then, you know, different way of distribution because pipe LNG is easy. You know, you just had a pipeline connection. But when it comes to truck LNG and all liquid form of LNG consumption, you need a regas station at the end. So as long as you build a lot of these regas stations and refueling stations, that is the ecosystem with a lot of trucks. That is the ecosystem where a retail LNG can play a big role. Right. And 
It's interesting when I hear you talk about this use of LNG in China and some of the neighboring countries and the trucked element in particular, it kind of reminds me of the heating oil market in the United States more than the natural gas market in that it's a market driven by the need for local distribution and the absence of, of a pipeline network. And I'm curious, could you go into a little bit what sort of technology and infrastructure do you need to transport, store, and deliver LNG within this type of a market? Right. Uh, sure. So I think you're absolutely right. You know, the, the heating oil market in the U.S. or diesel market is a liquid fuel market, secondary fuel. So it's different from the primary energy uh, use of uh, LNG, like Japan, where LNG is just a form of transportation. It doesn't really serve more purpose than that. But, you know, LNG is distributed and it can reach uh, all corners of the country. So basically, you need a lot of truck fueling points. So if you go to the Chinese receiving terminals, you know, they would have 200 points, you know, massive, massive uh, uh, truck fueling stations. So, you know, thousands of trucks can load from the terminals. And for example, the one in, uh, in Tianjin, run by Sinopec, you know, I think that has the most uh, truck fueling base, 200 of them. That's on the receiving terminal side. And also there are a lot of uh, remote liquefaction plants in China because, you know, they are in the northwest, uh, northeast and, and so on. So, you know, how do they get to market by trucking? So, you know, again, these local liquefaction plants have a lot of truck fueling base. So that's on the supply side. And then you obviously transport by road. And there, there are two kind of tools. Right? One is the road tankers, which uh, is uh, inferior in, in a sense because the, there's a boil of issues and all that. And then you have the ISO containers, which uh, you know can hold the LNG up to 120 days. So you really don't have a boil of gas issue. So that's the kind of a transport medium. And then on the consumption side, you had the local uh, storage tanks, regasification equipment, and so on and so forth. So uh, that's a, a system of uh, regas stations. And then for the trucking fleet, they, there's a system of uh, refueling, LNG refueling stations along the uh, highways. So these are the technology, if you like. And it's pretty surprising. You mentioned when it's transported in these ISO containers, it can be in there for 120 days. That seems like a very long time for LNG. Yes, because it's designed to withhold uh, pressure. So it is the, there's also important for the reason of uh, reducing methane sleep. Right? So when you have a container which leaks, I mean, after 10 days, it's no good, right? But 120 days is a very long time to, for anybody to figure out a complete uh, utilization of the methane without any uh, concerns on sleeping. And you had mentioned earlier, you know, the important point that relative to the United States and some other countries where natural gas is relatively inexpensive, LNG in Asia is still fairly expensive, you know, from $16 an MMBTU or more. And that's the international price domestically, as you said, it's regulated. How does that relative cost of LNG impact how it's being used domestically in these markets? I think, you know, that kind of actually encouraged the use of LNG as a secondary fuel because as primary fuel, you know, United States has been able to reduce uh, carbon emission by billions of tons because of coal to gas conversion. You know, since 2011, I think more than 100 coal plants in, in the United States have converted, right? But that's three to three dollars. 
So you mentioned $16. So $16 is eight times two or five times three. So it is a luxury for many developing countries. You know, so that being said, so on as a power generation fuel, the natural competition is coal and renewable, and both are cheaper than LNG. Then, you know, I think basically a lot of uh, analysts uh, kind of are not yet realizing that the LNG can ha- has become saturated in developed mature markets. For example, Japan used to be the biggest importer, but they are reducing and reducing and reducing, you know, many reasons, right? So uh, one of the key reasons is nuclear plant uh, restarting, right? So, you know, they are, you know, they had 33 nuclear plants. They only started 12. So there's kind of a long way to go. Uh, so mature markets like that is not, uh, it's kind of somehow saturated. If you look at the consumption pattern in Europe, gas is really come, you know, coming down, you know, on a month by month basis throughout this year. So LNG is expensive for developing country to use it as a power generation fuel, but as a secondary fuel, there's no problem, right? Because diesel, you know, it, again, you study uh, uh, around the globe, diesel is about, uh, let's say, 28 to 30 percent of brand, you know, worldwide, it clears the market. And then heavy fuel oil is 22, 23%. You know, LPG is 19, 20%. So instead of consuming the LNG and hope for a 12% brand, which is not possible, then use the LNG in the retail side as a liquid fuel replacement is a better business for many countries. So that therefore, you know, I think a retail LNG as a liquid fuel replacement is the growth market going forward. And as a liquid fuel replacement, where is it being used in transportation? What are some of the other uses for it? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, let's look at the example of China, right? You know, they, they China is a 365 BCM market, about 260 million tons of LNG equivalent. About 30% of that is LNG, both from imports and domestic liquefaction. 70% is pipeline. So that 30% LNG, it goes to a very small part for uh, pig shaving power generation. You know, in the rich provinces of Guangdong and Zhejiang, they have some pig shaving pr- uh, plants, small ones, 200 megawatt and so on. Very small in Chinese standards, but you know, it, it can be a huge plant for the Jamaica, right? But you know, China is, or everything is in gigawatt terms. So 200 megawatt uh, pig shaving is a very small. So that's a v- tiny part. And then, you know, you have the industries. That's the kind of main part, uh, because like I said, the distributed uh, enterprises, you know, like I'm running a, a ceramic factory, a glass factory. I need boilers for whatever. Uh, so furnaces and boilers, that's kind of, kind of a very good market, you know, off-grid market. And then they use it for a domestic sector, meaning what they call city gas in China. So basically, you know, for example, the city of Beijing, they had winter consumption seven times summer consumption. So the pipelines in Beijing cannot be sized according to winter needs, you know, diameter, uh, throughput capacity and all that. So it's kind of summer plus something. And then what do they do in the winter? They use LNG to inject into pipeline. So as a pick shaving uh, measure. So that's, uh, and then uh, also in the domestic sector, you know, distributed guys, you know, like a rural village, some remote area, no pipeline. They used to use coal for uh, to make a boiler for you know space heating and, uh, uh, and and so on. Now they can use LNG on an ISO container outside the village, and then all the village is connected by a mini grid. You know, so everybody can use uh, for heating and uh, and uh, cooking. 
And finally, transport. I mean, China has 500,000 LNG fuel trucks, heavy trucks, and about 300,000 buses, which are driven by LNG. So that's a 12 million ton market, LNG. So, you know, and that's a unique market because you can't really serve it by pipeline. That's a really hardcore LNG market. So these are the area where the LNGs are using. And if you look at Pakistan, Bangladesh, Philippines, Vietnam, Myanmar, it would be a copy of all I just said, you know, except, uh, for example, in Vietnam, you don't need space heating. You know, it's all very obvious, right? So, but they need more for industries because the national power grid in Vietnam is very weak. Connectivity is weak. There's a lot of curtainment, breakout, brownout. So it makes sense to do distributed power generation based on LNG, just like in a similar fashion where in Africa, a lot of people are doing distributed power generation using diesel. You know, but it would be, a, you know, one of those categories that, that I just mentioned. Right. And I wanted to ask you, you had mentioned earlier the major energy companies in China bringing LNG in and then potentially in the domestic market, the price being more regulated and then, you know, often fuels trading as a percent of Brent. And I'm curious, like in addition to the price level itself, how do you see the current pricing mechanisms and the available pricing instruments, the benchmarks affecting the performance of the LNG market in Asia? Yeah. So, I mean, the evolution of pricing mechanism, right? I think, you know, the, in France in the early 50s, you know, when they've had first LNG, they, they are trying to do a, a liquid fuel, actually liquid fuel gas substitution, you know, import. And then, you know, they try to price it by gas. So that's uh, good. And then the Japanese system is a JCC, a cocktail of uh, crew import into Japan and then the long term indexation. So that's um, I think it served its purpose. You know, I would call that. OLNG, pawn-to-pawn interlocking contracts throughout the supply chain. Everything is locked, interlocking. So, and then we, ha- we are in the area of new LNG, meaning uh, in addition to that pawn-to-pawn system, maybe we have 40, 45%, which are spot-driven. You know, no contracts, shipping is, you know, through it. Everything is based on up, uh, arbitrage window. So new LNG is an uh, addition to the OLNG model, just with 40, 45% spot element is more flexibility but then it also adds complexity because we had the like jkm for example you know is uh, supposedly a uh, lng price index rather than hh and you know henry hub and ttf which are basically regional gas hub prices and then you had long-term uh, oil indexation so i mean that also can work only criticism is that liquidity is very low uh, and also, it is not physically settled because, you know, as I mentioned, the Chinese truck LNG, the market, 28, 30 million tons a year. They are loading about 4,000 trucks a day. One, you know, 75,000 ton, per, uh, you know, one whole ship per day is being uh, uh, loaded and distributed in China. That's a very liquid market. One ship a day, you know, can you imagine, you know, that, that, that's a very, very big. But, you know, I think JKM is a fraction of that. So that's one number one. And number two, you know, the, the financial settled uh, mechanism, I think is more prone to speculation because you can express your opinion without a lot of consequences. And LNG is not an easy commodity to deal with. I mean, as you know, because of the boil of storage issues and all that. So that's, you know, new LNG. And then if we are moving from new LNG to retail LNG, meaning how the uh, small customers in all over Asia, 
or in Africa, in the Latin America, without a billion-dollar terminal, they want to use LNG. I mean, now the problem really arises, right? So, and and uh, LNG EC basically our mission is to make it available, breaking it into both physically, technology-wise. That's possible because we have done it. Uh, uh, we don't need a terminal to import LNG. You know, very big regas terminal. So shipping is available. So all that is available, but the pricing system is too complex. Because if you are in, you imagine I'm a 20 megawatt power plant sitting in an island in the Philippines. I'm using diesel at the moment. The only thing I need to know is mobs in Singapore, because I buy diesel at mobs price, and then you know plus the shipping, and then plus some local the logistics. That's my cost. Easy. And then I can uh, uh, negotiate with the government for fuel pass through and fuel, uh, uh, all that, because it's kind of a much less volatile. Now, if I'm that same owner of 20 megawatt power plant, I want to change to LNG. Oh, I heard it's cleaner, lower emissions, blah blah blah, and cheaper at times. <laughs> <laughs> but then I need to understand. Oh, you know, should I price it according to HH or TTF or JKM or long term or uh, come? Uh, indexation and then maybe all indexation is not available until the year after and then you know everybody insists to sell me jkm but jkm i know was 80 dollars and it would bankrupt me if i buy 80 dollar or if i pass it through the government it would bankrupt my government you know a, a few which is worth eight ten dollars suddenly it became 80 dollars for you know to think about it right so i think that is really the most difficult part in the area of retail LNG. Uh, therefore, I think we need a unified system around the world, which is easily understood. And I would strongly suggest that this system is physically settled because then it kind of somehow reduces the volatility and make it more user-friendly, if you like. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you another question, you know, about the pricing you had mentioned, you know, things go to $80, bankrupt countries, bankrupt companies. When you think about kind of the price points, one of the interesting things in natural gas is always you hit certain price points and consumers will switch from one fuel source to another. So in the US, maybe switch from coal to gas or vice versa. You know, are there certain prices that are important for the domestic market? Like if the price goes above a certain level, you tend to expect to see certain consequences, certain switching, certain curtailment of buying LNG? Yeah, very, very good question, David. So I think, you know, you kind of can rank the countries in terms of their ability to switch. And I think, you know, true energy security comes from that. It doesn't come from a long-term contract. Because, I mean, as you know, if you sign a long-term contract with certain exporters in the United States, you know, one day outage, two, maybe, you know, they may not really fulfill the contract, right? So, so you know, I think, you know, in, uh, in, in Europe, it's apparent that 2022, the ability to switch, to switch is limited. And then you go to Pakistan, gas country. Gas is 44% in primary energy supply. Again, how do they switch? Because I, I had to shut down like 44% of my economy if I... So, but if you go to China, they had a very, a lot of depths in the energy system. They had hydro, they had nuclear, they had everything under the sun. They had pipeline gas, pipeline gas import, they had LNG, they had coal, they had renewable. That system is solid. You know, that's why, you know, in 2020, they fare very well. 
you know, and they divert most of the energy LNG to Europe and make big bucks for it, right? And then you go to Bangladesh again, limited uh, ability to switch because it was a gas country. India always big ability to switch because for them it was six percent gas anyway, and then they're so cost conscious. So if it's like more than eight dollars, India stop stop buying. So India for a very long time, and it still is now. Is a buyer for distressed uh, cargoes on ships. So different countries have different uh, ability to switch. At the moment, Singapore we can't switch. I mean, we are ninety five percent on gas. So I mean, luckily we are rich. So you know, it's kind of a, that helps a bit, right? But um, you know, if you are a Vietnam, you had again certain ability to switch. Thailand is uh, very low on the list because they are. It's a country heavily relying on gas to power. And then when the domestic gas is depleting, they had to import LNG and they had to buy because it takes time to build up the ability to switch to diesel, to heavy fuel oil, to coal or for renewable and all that. So it would happen. And, and that's my fear, actually, David. The volatility in LNG is causing countries to invest in their ability to switch, which is really not good for the long-term growth of LNG. That I think everybody should pay attention to in our industry. We should not look at supplying LNG as a trading activity where you maximize every cargo. I really hope that people can think long term because we had invested as a collectively as planet Earth huge amount of liquefaction capacity. In the United States, it's the biggest one, and then Qatar has this, you know, north uh, fuel expansion and all that. There's a lot to come. I think we should have, you know, really try to reduce the volatility, all of us. I want to come back to that point a bit, but I wanted to ask you, you know, you've laid out so many interesting facets and features of the the gas market, the LNG market in Asia, and the way it differs from what, you know, someone coming from a US or European perspective might think a natural gas market should look like. And I'm curious, when you listen to U.S. or European analysts discuss LNG in Asia, what do you think they get wrong? And what do you think they need to understand better about these differences in the market and how those differences affect how LNG prices behave in Asia? Well, I think, you know, maybe they're not wrong. It's just that, you know, our thinking had to, you know, had to evolve like everything else. I think a lot of European analysts come from a gas background. And that's what they know. And, you know, they, they're mostly concerned about how TTF is behaving and they don't really pay much attention to the, uh, you know, the arbitrage and all that that is, exists in LNG. So it's kind of parochial. And, you know, if you take that parochial well will to and superimpose it on LNG, I don't think it works so well. That's one. And then the, the second issue uh, could be that I think under new LNG, portfolio trading has become a norm rather than the exception because in OLNG there's only supplying is Bontan supplying Japan is Bintulu supplying China 20-year contract lock-in shipping everything new LNG most of the portfolio guys they make a lot of money so I think you know there's a tendency to disregard country knowledge you know what I told you why Thailand has little ability to switch because it's a gas to power, you know, very heavy gas to power country. But why China can 
say no to expensive LNG above their truck LNG price, they would stop buying and they don't care. You know, you can go to $200, they just ship everything to Europe, they're fine. This is country knowledge. And I think, you know, in every product we market, you know, whether you are Procter & Gamble or something like that, country knowledge is important. And you have to make a penetration pricing, penetration strategy. But what I observe in LNG is that everybody say, okay, you know, if you are buyer, KYC, wedded, you had the credit line, I will sell to you. So I don't really care what goes on in Bangladesh. I don't care what goes on in Pakistan. I don't care what goes on China, Philippines, Vietnam. And I think that is not how it will be done in the future, really, because in the retail LNG era, you need a lot of country knowledge. So I'm just saying, you know, maybe supplying, trading, and then we had the brick bulk, you know, so corresponding to OLNG, new LNG, and retail LNG. In the brick bulk area, we need much more knowledge on country level, what works, what doesn't, and so on. So I think, you know, maybe this is where all our colleagues can improve together. And I wanted to come back to the, the point on volatility because there's reducing overall volatility, and then there's also giving people the tools to manage volatility, like you often see in derivatives markets, futures options. To what extent are those tools available to help people in the retail LNG market manage their risk? I think the cost is too high. You know, for for the big participants, they of course, they can do a JKM and TTF. I mean, and of course, a lot of people trade HH as well. HH is not so relevant for LNG. So, you know, TTF, because it's an arbitrage between TTF and JCAM that decides the trade flow, right? a marginal trade flow. I think these markets, are, there's uh, quite a bit of liquidity, uh, no doubt, but maybe a little bit, I would even say excessive. I mean, so I'm, I'm sometimes contrarian, not on purpose, but it become like that. So David, let me ask you, you know, we had a unique situation where we had 100% fullness in underground gas uh, storage in Europe today. A lot of floating storage in Europe, which is burning oil of gas every day. So kind of wasteful, environmental, not so friendly, but the floating storage is, is building up. And then you had, on the other hand, countries in Asia waiting to pull the trigger because they're waiting for price to fall. But price is not falling. Vietnam, for example, they installed the, um, you know, uh, on end terminal, they imported one cargo and they have been waiting since. Because sixteen dollar is too much for them, you know. So, and and the Philippines likewise, you know, they want to pay ten cents power in Luzon. They don't want to pay thirty cents like we had in Singapore. So, how do you buy LNG at sixteen dollars and make uh, power in ten cents? I mean, just doesn't make up. So, we had a situation where cost storage is full, full like this full, yeah. Floating storage is costly and difficult, unlike crew, because in crew, there's a lot of storage available, tank farms around the world. And then you can just pick up a VLCC, fill it up, and then, you know, she can sit there for half a year without any problem, right? But LNG, you can't do that with a boil, right? So extreme difficulty in managing the storage, no third-party storage, and then the in-country storage are full, but price is still so far above marginal cost. Why? Tell me why. Marginal cost, it's easy. You, United States is Henry Hub $3 plus $3 liquefaction plus shipping. So $7, $8 is marginal cost. Now we are double. So if you study economics, you know, we had perfectly competitive market and then you had 
monopolistic market. I think LNG today, in terms of market structure, is closer to monopolistic market. So maybe I do not answer your question in terms of hedging. I'm just saying there's something to be desired where you know we need to bring supply and demand closer to a perfectly competitive market so LNG can really flow naturally. Hedging is important for new LNG players, all the big Japanese utilities, PetroChina, Shell, ENI, you know, big players. But in the area of retail LNG, you know, the new buyers and all that, I mean, it's not on their mind. They just want a, a commodity which is very good all around, but a lot of price volatility and a lot of complexity to understand. So how do we go to that level? That's, I think, the big challenge for all of us. Yeah, and it sounds like you know what you're finding is that the, the the pricing in Asia that's out there might not be reflective of what you're seeing in the physical market in terms of supply demand balances. Absolutely right. And it's trying to understand why that's happening. Yeah. And I'm curious, like when you look at the current LNG market, you, you mentioned problems in volatility, problems in you know trying to reconcile prices with supply demand balances. You know, if you were to look and say the future of LNG in Asia is going to be driven to a large extent by retail LNG. What sort of pricing system do you think that market needs to grow and scale? Yeah, again, very good question. So I think, you know, basically, you know, two things. One is, I think, you know, if we, if people can give us LPG index price, it would solve a lot of the problems in the retail sector because LPG is the cheapest liquid fuel. You know, LPG and then you had heavy fuel oil and then you had diesel, diesel being the most expensive. So, you know, if people give me that, you know, I'm totally fine. And maybe it sounds uh, kind of uh, ridiculous at the moment, but I remember, I do remember in 2019 when LNG price was very low, JKM was less than $2 uh, in the beginning of the year. People are willing to discuss co-indexation, you know, all kind of different things. So I, I hope all the, you know, our friends in the big portfolio playing uh, players, suppliers, they can consider LPG indexation. So I think that would solve a lot of problems. And in LPG is easy to understand. It's CP driven. So, you know, it's, uh, we don't have four, four things to worry about. It's only one. So, uh, easy. Uh, the, the other thing is, um, absent of which we can do a, a ship LNG based physically settled index. I think that would be a very good thing for the, for the market. And looking out, you know, just uh, as we wrap up, I really appreciate this deep dive you've given us into the Asian retail LNG market and how it's connecting. When you look out to the future, how do you see that retail LNG market connecting with the global LNG market and the natural gas markets that we're all more accustomed to on on the side of the globe? I mean, you know, they are in China. You know, the market makers like PetroChina, Sinop, they they created this uh, uh, retail LNG market. Is not new technology-wise because their truck LNG in United States, Tesla is using LNG for their uh, space uh, uh, rocket uh, launching centers. There's some trucking in Europe and all that, but never as a business that is of such scale and also as a business in itself. So I think you know the you know how do we you know we had old LNG, new LNG, and retail LNG. I would suggest that the market pay more attention to demand creation because we had a lot of investment on supply generation already you know Warren Balfour in, invested you know in, in liquefaction plant and then you see Saudi Aramco 
you know, trying to, you know, invest in uh, MinOcean, I think it is, uh, 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 you know, which is kind of buying a portfolio of liquefaction assets. That's all fine. Very good. You know, you make sure that there is supply. And then where is the demand? And then the traditional material markets like Japan and China. Japan is not growing. Korea is barely growing. Singapore is growing, but we are a very small market. You know, so China would not grow double digit, which they had in the past, uh, you know, 15 years. So China would go to go to a 5% uh, growth area for a period of time before renewable take charge. And then, you know, the, the demand in China, I've, I think, will subside. Uh, I'm of the opinion that this would happen the most faster than most uh, analysts uh, go. So the market for the marginal in capacity that we had added in the past two years until 2030 is developing Asia. And then, you know, we need to invest in demand generation. You know, the, the, the infrastructure that we spoke about, the trucks, the ISO containers, the regas stations, the refueling stations, then we can use a lot of LNG. Every country we, we go to, you know, like Pakistan and all that, I think they had input, they, they import more than 10 million tons of liquid fuel, you know, in terms of, I think LPG is 2.1 million, you know, diesel, furnace oil and all that. It's a very, very big market. Bangladesh is also a huge market, liquid fuel. Vietnam uses a lot of liquid fuel. So demand, uh, I think, you know, I call for more investment on demand generation, number one. And number two, as a, a, a breach, better pricing system. Because, you know, better pricing system, so retail developers like us can sell. And the customers had confidence of lower uh, validity and uh, ability to hedge and all that. I think that would be a very good system if we can somehow manage some of that. Thanks again to Hei Yang, founder and CEO of LNG Easy. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Join us next week as we continue our series, Commodities in Asia. We hope you'll join us. This episode was brought to you in part by ABAX Exchange. Market participants need the confidence and ability to secure funding for resource development, production, processing, refining, and transportation of commodities across the globe, with markets for LNG, battery metals, and emissions offsets at the core of the transition to sustainability. ABAX Exchange is building solutions to manage risk in these rapidly changing global markets facilitating futures and options contracts designed to offer market participants clear price signals and hedging capabilities in those markets essential to our sustainable energy transition. ABAX Exchange, bringing you better benchmarks, better technology and better tools for risk management. That concludes this week's episode of Smarter Markets by ABAX. For episode transcripts and additional episode information, including research, editorial, and video content, please visit smartermarkets.media. Please help more people discover the podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. Smarter Markets is presented for informational and entertainment purposes only. The information presented on Smarter Markets should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The views and opinions expressed on Smarter Markets are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's hosts or producer. Smarter Markets, its hosts, guests, employees and producer, ABAX Technologies, 
shall not be held liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based on informational viewpoints presented on Smarter Markets. Thank you for listening and please join us again next week.